morning. How are we all doing today? Oh, man. Are you all tired? How are we all doing today? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. We're so glad that you're here today. And if this is your first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, we're so glad that you're here with us. And in your program, as you came in, um, where it says Easter on the front, inside that program is a connection card. We'll actually take a minute and fill that connection card out. At the end of our service, we have an offering. And during that offering time, the only thing we ask of you is to drop that card in the offering basket. And I was thankful and honored that you're here with us this morning. Last Sunday, we celebrated eight years at Lake Point. We're thankful for God for what he has done here in this place here at Lake Point Church for the past eight years. And um, last Sunday, if you weren't here, we announced our grand total of the building campaign uh, towards tomorrow at $354,500. And what an incredible amount because our goal was 362000 And um, that's an incredible amount. Yes, you guys can clap for that. Because that's you guys did that. All of us did that together. And, um, and there are more coming. There's some people that texted me this past week and said we missed it last Sunday. Give, give us a couple of weeks. We're going to come through. And I, I believe that by the end of this year, we'll be close to $400,000. That's what I'm praying for. And just because we had the Toys Tomorrow offering and, what, you know, the campaign is, is over, we're still growing that campaign fund. So you can always give to it. You can always be a part of that um, offering. And um, some of you are doing that every month. Some of you are just set aside $50 a month or $100 a month, some more than others. And you're welcome to do that. And as we continue to grow that fund, as we continue to pray for the next step of Lake Point Church, we're looking, we're looking hard for a building or a location that we can call home, you know, our home. And uh, so we're looking for that. And we pray for us as we continue to look and look diligently and to be patient for God's timing as well. We need to pray for God's guidance in everything that we're doing. And uh, to be praying for us in that regard. Um, now, next Sunday, Easter, big week. Easter Sunday, next Sunday. So Good Friday service, this Friday night. We'll have communion at 7 o'clock right here. And a uh, special time of worship as we, as we gather together to reflect on the cross and the crucifixion. And uh, we'll have child care for third grade and under, because we believe that fourth and fifth grade should really be a part of this service, and, uh, and they will get something out of this Friday night service coming up. And so that's this Friday night. And then Sunday morning, we have two services, two service times for you to attend, one at 9 o'clock and the other one at 10.30. And uh, I hope that you'll do everything you can to be here and to invite your friends. Now, when you sat down your chair, there's a good chance that you pick up a pack of invite cards. And maybe you've already got some, but we want you to take more because we want you to get the word out and invite, invite, invite. That's the best way to get people to church. It's not through a Facebook post or an ad in the newspaper. The best way to get people to church is by a personal invite. And so I challenge you to take one of these cards. There's only like seven to ten cards in a packet, but to take them and to hand them out to strangers, to family, to friends, 
the people that you know at work, hand them out and invite them to church next Sunday morning. It's going to be a fantastic, amazing service. And people are more likely to attend church on Easter Sunday. And if you're going to be gone next Sunday, you're not off the hook. All right? If you're not going to be here, you're going to be out of town, hey, you can still invite. You can still invite somebody to be a guest of Lake Point Church, even though you might be here. You might not be here. Just invite them anyway, and then get the word out. And uh, so let's do our part this week. We're going to finish up our series today on miracles. Miracles. Uh, today I want to talk about Jesus is still performing miracles. Jesus is still at work today. One Sunday, a pastor asked out to the crowd in the church, he said, does anybody in the room have a special prayer? And in the back of the room, old Frank raised his hand. He said, Pastor, please pray for me. I Please pray for my hearing. And the pastor said to Frank, said, Frank, come up to the front. And Frank walked up to the front in front of the whole church. And then Frank got up there. The pastor slapped both hands on his ears really hard. And then he began to pray. And prayed and asked God to restore Frank's hearing. And after he said amen, Frank's a little startled, all right? He's a little shocked at what's happened here. And the pastor looked at Frank in the eyes and said, Frank, how's your hearing now? And Frank looked at the pastor and said, Pastor, I don't know, but my hearing's not till Wednesday in the courthouse. I've got time here. I don't know what's going to happen. Y'all help me out here, all right? That was a joke. Y'all looking at me like that was bad. Give me, there you go. Thank you. Give me a clap. Make me feel better. Oh, man. Tom, where's Tom at? You come back up here with Tad Team, all right? You got to take over. All right, Tom is now in the house. There he is. All right, Tom. Tom tells better jokes than I do. All right, man, I even checked it with my wife last night. I said, Kim, what do you think? She kind of said, you know, I don't know, Scott. I, I, you know, it sounds like you. Anyway, back, back to the message. We sometimes misunderstand what others really need, just like Frank and the pastor did. It was a little bit of a misunderstanding, but here's one thing we know. Jesus understands exactly, exactly what you need. There's no doubt, there's no question about what you need and what Jesus needs to know. He knows exactly what you need. Jesus today is still performing Miracles. And today's story is picked up in Matthew chapter 8. And this is the early part of Jesus' ministry. He had been tempted of the devil in chapter 4 of Matthew. And then after he was tempted of the devil, he was sent into, uh, he was sent out and he began his earthly ministry. And then in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, Jesus is hanging out in Galilee. He's around the Sea of Galilee. And after he finished his long sermon that just captured the, the audience by every word and every detail of that word, I mean, it was a powerful message that we have the whole thing here. And he stepped down from the mountainside and walked into the area where Capernaum is. And, and Jesus began to do ministry. In chapter 8, we start to see Jesus 
coming alive with miracles. This is really the beginning of Jesus' ministry happening right here. And we see in verse 14, Jesus is back in his hometown of Capernaum. Capernaum, which is his home base at this time in his life. And we pick it up in verse 14, we see what's happening. He said here, when Jesus came into Peter's house, and this is the apostle Peter, this is his disciple Peter, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him, began to serve Jesus. When the night came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirit with the word and healed all the sick. And so Jesus had a full, busy day here in Capernaum. In verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So we see Jesus performing miracles. He's healing people, healing Peter, Peter's mother-in-law, casting out demons. But there is a major, major miracle in here in this passage that you and I might miss unless you're looking for it. I want us to look here again in verse number 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. The first point is this, and it's really simple, but the first point I want to talk about today, this morning, is the miracle of fulfillment. The miracle of fulfillment. Verse 17, he was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Fifteen times in the book of Matthew, fifteen times we read that exact phrase, this was to fulfill. This was to fulfill. This was to fulfill. Fifteen times. Matthew quotes the Old Testament 36 times in his 28 chapters, that's far more than Mark, Luke, or John combined. Also, we also know about Matthew. Matthew was a, was a tax collector. Before he became a disciple of Jesus Christ, he ran the books. He was a CPA. And his job was to reconcile columns of figures. And as he wrote his account in the Gospel of Matthew of the life of Jesus, he was constantly comparing two columns. On the one column were the Old Testament prophecies, the predictions about the Messiah. And on the other side, on the other column, were all the details of Jesus' life. And as an accountant, Matthew couldn't miss the fact that the two columns were reconciled. They agreed. There are over 40 messianic prophecies that Jesus at this point, had already fulfilled. 40, over 40 messianic prophecies. Now, a messianic prophecy is a passage in the Old Testament that points, that predicts things or details about the life of the coming Messiah. Now, some scholars suggest that there are around 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. But some of the passages are 
debatable. And so that's why I give a conservative number of 40. A conservative number of 40. For example, the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem 700 years before the Messiah Jesus showed up. It prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem, and Daniel even predicted when he would be born 500 years before the birth of Christ. He predicted when the Messiah would happen. The prophecies in the Old Testament predicted that there would be an attempt to kill the Messiah as a baby, and in the result of that, that there would be slaughters of innocent children that would take place. It also predicted that the young Messiah would take refuge into the land of Egypt. It would escape into Egypt. It was also predicted that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend for exactly 30 pieces of silver. And centuries before the crucifixion was even invented, even thought of, the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced but that none of his bones would be broken. And these are just some of the prophecies that is found in the Old Testament. And the fact that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled these prophecies is a powerful evidence that the Bible is a supernatural book and that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of the living God. Get this, the odds of one person randomly fulfilling 40 plus prophecies and the details of their life being fulfilled is astronomical. Now I use that word astronomical for a reason. Astronomical. We know what that means, right? Astronomical. We think uh, huge. But when we think astronomical, I'm talking about Solar universe, you know, the, 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 the outer space huge. That's how big I'm talking about. To help you understand this, I'm going to try my best to help you to get an idea of this. I have in my pocket a quarter. And the science of probability, if I were to flip this quarter, the chances of it being uh, landing on head is what? One out of two. Good, you got good, all right? If I were to do it twice in a row and it lands on head two times in a row, the probability of that is one out of four. Good, good, you guys got it, all right? One out of four. If I do it uh, one, uh, if I jump to four times in a row, you know, if I land it, uh, I'm sorry, three heads in a row, the chance of that, the odds of that is one in eight. So it grows a little bit. Let me jump ahead. If you were to, Flip the coin and land on head 10 times in a row. You know what the chances of that happening? One out of 1,024. One out of 1,024. Now, it keeps growing. If I want to do 20 heads in a row, the chance of that happening is one out of 1,048,576 times. All right, so the chances of it happening 20 times in a row, landing on head, every time I flip the coin, that's how crazy your chances are making that happen. Now, using the science of probability, 
will help you here. Scientists have determined the odds of a person randomly fulfilling just eight. Eight. We're going to work with eight now, okay? Y'all with me? Just eight of these prophecies was one out of ten to the 17th power. Now that's a ridiculous number right there, but that is, in case you don't know what, how math works, that's taking a number 10 and you add 17 zeros at the end of that number. Now th uh, that number is 100, 100 quadrillion. That's a big number. Now, our minds cannot compute a quadrillion. Bit, you know, we can't understand that. We get a million. We know what a billion might look like. We understand a trillion because we're in, as a country, in debt and trillions of dollars. We understand those numbers. But when it gets beyond that, our brain, it, it starts to hurt. It starts to, it starts to not compute. So to help you understand 10 to the 17th power, if you had 100 quadrillion quarters, I got my quarter back out, you could cover the entire state of Michigan with 100 quadrillion quarters five feet deep. And then, I'm going to mark just one of these quarters, and I'm going to throw it as far as I can in the middle of the, of the great state of Michigan, and then I'm going to pick one person, blindfold that person, and, and say, listen, you got one chance, one shot to walk through Michigan to find the one quarter that is marked and you, good luck with that, right? Good luck with that. But that's exactly what one, what a person fulfilling just eight prophecies will look like. And you say, but wait, there's many more than eight prophecies. It's like flipping a coin. The odds increase when you consider more prophecies. The, the probabilities get bigger and bigger. And so they have calculated the odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies. Y'all ready for this? This is where it gets astronomical. All right? This is where it gets crazy big. He said one person fulfilling 48 prophecies about their life is one chance in 10 to the 157th power. All right, so that's taking a 10. All right, some of you get this now, right? You understand how this works. Take a 10, and then you should start adding zeros. 157 zeros after that number. I don't even know what that number is called. But that number is not. And, and we can't even use quarters to try to help you understand this. So what I'm going to do is we're going to use electrons, just one little electron, which is the smallest matter in the universe, okay? I mean, they... Scientists have a hard time measuring the size of a single electron. But if I could 
somehow with a real tiny, tiny, tiny little pen get mark one little electron, and good luck with that. But if I could, I'm going to mark that one little dot that you can barely see. You can't even see it. All right, it's that small. All right, an electron makes the atom, okay? But the atoms are a little bit bigger, but still, you can't even see an atom. All right, so we're talking about small, small stuff here. And if we can just mark one, and we toss it in into a mix of electrons, 10 to the 157th power, we would create an electron cloud. We would have a cloud. 10 to the 157th power of electrons would create a cloud that's 6 million light years in length. Now, just like 6 million light years in length, I, I don't know where that, what that means. And um, Earth to Pluto, by the way, is 327 light minutes. So it's obviously a lot bigger than our Milky Way galaxy. In fact, if we wanted to go to the next closest star, not the sun, but we want to go past the sun, and we go to the next biggest, to the next star, which is um, four light years away. Six million light years is bigger than the known solar system as we know it. We haven't even gone past. We haven't even looked at what that even looked like. So we got that one little mark electron floating in outer space. And I find somebody in a, that wears space suit. And I say, good luck. And you're going to float in outer space. You get one shot at this. And you're going to find that one tiny little electron that I mark with my really, really tiny pen which is impossible, by the way, but, you know, just for the sake of imagination. And you're going to find that electron. You have one chance out of 10 on 157 to the power of 157. And that is crazy. And that's just 48 predictions of Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus fulfilled. He fulfilled. Everything that the Old Testament threw at him. And that, my friend, is a huge, astronomical miracle that sometimes we could totally miss. We're, we're talking about a, a, a supernatural historical book that were written 4,000 years before Christ was born, started prophesying about the Messiah. And there's not one Messiah that said, whoops. There's not one prophecy that said, whoops. We messed up on that one. They all came to pass. And that's why I believe. That's why I believe what I believe. I mean, they give me, you know, evidence. They give me power to know that, hey, we have a God who said he stays, who's a God who loves us, and I'm going to believe it because the Bible says so. And the Bible's been proven. It's not only that Jesus 
fulfilled all of his prophecies about his first coming, Jesus made prophecies about his return. About his return. In fact, Jesus spoke and he predicted that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. And in 70 AD, it, it happened exactly the way that Jesus said it would. He made prediction about his coming back. In fact, there are many more prophecies in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus than there are about his first coming. So if Jesus fulfilled the prophecies about his first coming, I promise you, you can be certain he will fulfill all the prophecies that is yet coming to be. You know, um, a book that just been written in a movie that came out just recently called The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ is written by a man named Lee Strobel. And Lee Strobel was a graduate from Yale Law School and then he worked for the Chicago Tribune as a journalist and he was just uh, an investigator, uh, investigate stories and he went out on a pursuit to disprove the Bible. Lee Strobel hated God with an atheist. Did not believe that there was any life beyond this life. And so he was going to do everything he can to, to prove that the Bible was a fairy tale book. And after several years of research and several years of looking at the evidence, looking at the prophecies, he came out and said, man, there's nothing vague about the prophecies. They're specific and clear. Jesus is who he says he is. And he claimed to be the son of God and least trouble became a believer and believed in Jesus Christ. Now he's a leading Christian speaker, travels all around the world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we talk about blind faith. Talk about blind faith. But when it comes to believing that Jesus is the Messiah, it is faith based on evidence to ignore the absolute truth, to ignore it. You must close your eyes to the evidence. So to me, it's not faith that is blind. It is unbelief that is blind. The Bible is a supernatural book, and it's alive today. The miracle of fulfillment. It's right here in front of us. God's word is true from the beginning to the end. And it's something that we must recognize. But here's the second point today. We see the fulfillment is a miracle, but also we see the fulfillment of the miracle. Switching my words around, but I want to talk about this. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus preached from the book of Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, bore our diseases. And this was a reference to Isaiah chapter 53. This passage in Isaiah wasn't just fulfilled when Jesus walked on the earth 3,000 years ago. But Jesus is still fulfilling this prophecy today. Isaiah 53. I want to look at this real, real closely. The Bible says in verse number 4, Surely... He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced 
for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This was a prophecy written thousands of years before Christ was born. And it fulfilled it on the cross and the crucifixion. But it's still alive today. I want us to see a couple of implications out of this passage of scripture. We see here that some of us here today, we need a miracle. Jesus, although he may not be physically here, he is here. The Bible says we're here, you know, we're two or three gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of them. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that Jesus is here. He is right here in the person of the Holy Spirit and in his body, the church. And whenever Jesus shows up, miracles happen. And my question for you this morning is, do you need a miracle? Do you need a miracle? Based on the promises found in Isaiah 53, there may be four areas where you need the touch of Jesus this morning. Number one, do you have weaknesses? Jesus can take them away. Weaknesses. He's here to take them away. Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmity. The word infirmity, infirmities means moral weakness. Do you have any weaknesses? Do you have any struggles? What is it that you're, that you're facing today that you need help? And we're going to talk more about these things in the next message series starting next week called Overwhelmed. We're going to be talking about overwhelmed with life and overwhelmed with guilt, overwhelmed with, with, with pain, and overwhelmed with grief. We're going to be talking about these things. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but my question for you this morning is do you have weaknesses? And I want you to know that Jesus can take them away. Here's the second thought. Do you have grief? Do you have grief? Jesus can carry it for you. If you're grieving today, you will carry it. The Bible says in verse 4 in Isaiah 53, he carried our sorrows. He carried it. Grief and sorrow occur when you lose something. You may be grieving this morning over the death of a loved one. Or you might be grieving over a divorce or a lost job. Understand that God has something to offer for you. He offers to carry your grief. Part of our human emotion, it's part of our human experience, it's part of what we do. But God can come alongside of you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 or 7, it's to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you have a choice. You can carry your grief, your anxiety, your sorrows all by yourself, or you can give it to God and let him help you carry your grief. Here's the third thing from the passage. Do you have guilt? Jesus can forgive you. Do you have guilt this morning? Jesus can forgive 
verse number 5 in Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquity. Instead of our Messiah being a military king, Isaiah looked through his prophetic telescope and saw that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. And there's a simple reason why the Messiah would have to suffer. There was a simple reason why he had to die. He had to do it for your sins and for my sins. Our transgression of why he was pierced. It was our sin that crushed him. This week is Passion Week. 2,000 years ago on this day, Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. They were throwing, the crowd was throwing palm branches in the road, paving his road, paving the way for him. They, they saw Jesus as a revolutionary. He was going to come in and upstart Rome. He was going to take over the world. They saw him as a political messiah. Jesus came in riding on a lowly donkey. You see, Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem to save Jerusalem. Jesus came into Jerusalem to save the world. He knew what was happening. He knew that the people that were cheering him on Palm Sunday would a few days later be crying out for his death. They'd be crying out to crucify him. A few days later, Jesus died on the cross. We'll be celebrating, or we'll be not celebrating, but reflecting his death on Friday night. And then seven days later, we will celebrate because he rose again. Now, started on Passion Week. I pray that this week we would devote our time to focus on what Christ means to us and the portrayal that he faced. Jesus laid down his life willingly. He laid down his life on the cross, and it wasn't the nails that killed him. It was your sin and my sin that put him on the cross. See, he could have called legions of angels to come down. Legions upon legions to come in and save him, but he held him back and said, I must die for the sins of the world. You know why you feel guilty? Because we are. Because we are. We are all guilty of sin against the holy God. But Jesus took the punishment for your sin. He took the punishment of my sin. And he can forgive. He can remove the guilt away from you. Only he can remove our guilt forever. And here's the fourth point, and we're done. Do you have pain? Jesus can heal you. Jesus can heal your pain. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, he said, By his wounds, we are healed. Now, there are different kinds of pain. Your pain may be physical, 
Some of your pain might be mental, might be emotional, but whatever the source is, Jesus can heal you. I believe that. It may not look the way that we might think it is, but he can heal. Jesus often touched people to heal them, but this book here in Isaiah 53, verse 5, says, doesn't say, by his touch we are healed. Oftentimes in the life of Jesus, he would spoke the words and say, hey, you know, um, he, you're healed just by speaking the words. Open your eyes. Or stand up and walk. He would just speak the words and they'd be healed, but in this verse, Isaiah 53, 5, it doesn't say by his words, we are healed. It says by his wounds. His wounds, not his words, not his touch, by his, but by his wounds, we are healed. And this refers to the suffering that Jesus took on the cross. And it's only by his wounds that we are Experience the kind of healing that we most need. And the greatest need that we have in mankind is to be healed from the pain of sin. Because all of us were born with a sin-sick soul. And it's a sin, it's a disease that has only one cure, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a story of a little boy named Johnny whose younger sister needed a blood transfusion. Since they both had the same rare blood type, the little girl's only chance for healing was for a transfusion, a blood transfusion from Johnny. The doctor asked Johnny, Johnny, will you give your blood to your sister Mary? Little Johnny hesitated, lower lip started to tremble, hands shook a little bit, but then he smiled and he said, sure, I'll do that for my little sister. Soon the children were wheeled into the same room. Mary was pale and thin. Johnny, little Johnny was robust and healthy. Neither spoke a word, but when their eyes met, Little Johnny had a little grin on his face. As the nurse inserts the needle into Johnny's arm, the blood starts to flow through the tubes. Little Johnny's smile starts to fade. Johnny broke silence and spoke out to the nurse with a shaky voice. He said, Doctor, when do I die? And it was at that moment that the doctor realized why Johnny had hesitated, why Johnny's little lip trembled and hands shook. He understood at that moment that he thought that he would give up his blood to his sister meant that he was going to give up his life. And in that moment, Johnny made a decision that if necessary, he would give his life for his little sister. Fortunately, Johnny didn't have to die. He would just donate him blood for Mary. But when Jesus gave his blood for us, he died. He died for you. 
He died for me. He was wounded for our transgressions, and by his wounds, we could be healed of our sin-sick soul. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds, you have been healed. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins, he took our sorrows, he took our pain and guilt, he took the punishment that I deserve, the fulfillment of a miracle is still happening today. I still see people's lives being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some of you here this morning, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ to come into your life. He offered his blood. He died for you. And all you have to do is give your heart, your life to Jesus and ask him to come in your life to forgive you of your sins. He says, God, you don't understand what I've done. The sins that I've had are too big. The, stu the stuff that I've done in the past is too bad. But God's grace is bigger than your worst. God's grace is more richer than when you're at your worst. He is available for everyone, no matter who you are. Jesus can save today. And as we enter into Passion Week, I hope we understand this, that Jesus, he's alive. And he is still performing miracles. Will you let him touch you today? Our Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. We thank you that you are a God who, against all odds, you fulfilled all prophecies. And the evidence stacks up with our faith. I pray that our faith today is more become stronger because of what we've heard. That we have more confidence in your word and the supernatural Bible. It's a miracle of what you've done. The fulfillment and the prophecies that took place. But God, I thank you that you're also fulfilling the miracle. Miracles upon miracles even today. You're still at work. God, I pray that maybe there's someone here today who doesn't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that today they come to a realization that they need you, that they need your forgiveness, that they see that you gave your life, that you gave your all so that we could have salvation, so that we could live forever with you, that we can have a new life, that we can be freed from the guilt of the past. We can be freed from the guilt of the future, and we can live in eternity. God, I pray that today, I pray that whoever it might be today, I pray that they will give their life to you. With no one looking, head bowed, eyes closed, and says, God, today, I don't know Jesus. And I've been wrestling with this guilt. I've been wrestling with my past. But today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, today, I recognize that Jesus, only he can save. And he did it through the cross for me. And today, I recognize that. And today, I want to ask Jesus in my life. And I say this, 
that all you have to do is you have to ask Jesus to come in your heart. You simply do it where you're at. You simply do it in your seat where you're sitting at. You don't have to pray it to me because God is listening to your prayers. He hears you. He's hearing today. He is here this morning in the house. And he's listening to your voice. He is listening to the words. And you can pray a prayer like this and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And today, I'm asking you to forgive me my sins, my past, my guilt. And today, I'm giving it to you. I thank you that you died on a cross and gave your sacrifice, your blood for me so that I could have new life eternal life. And so God, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, my past sins, my present sins, my future sins. I'm asking you to give me a new life and come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. God, I pray that today I begin to walk in newness of life. We thank you in your name I pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless our next time of worship. God, I pray we celebrate with those that made a next step in Christ. And I pray that you will work in their hearts. I pray that today that they will step out and tell someone and share the decision that they made today. In your name I pray. Amen.